0: You're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. How likely is it that a doctor could remove your sexual organs and never talk to you about sex? According to one researcher, that is what is very likely to happen. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stacy Tesler-Lindau, Assistant Professor, Departments of OBGYN and Geriatric Medicine at the University of Chicago. Pritzker School of Medicine. She also holds an appointment at the University of Chicago Cancer Research Center. Dr. Lindau is the author of many research articles, but recently published a study in the August 2007 issue of Gynecologic Oncology, where she and her colleagues studied the sexual problems of long-term cancer survivors. Today, we're discussing female GYN cancer survivors and what affects the return to sexual function. Thanks for making the time to talk with us today, Dr. Lindau.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: So tell us, how did you get involved in this work?
1: Well, I would say that my initial interest in thinking about sexuality and how it relates to health uh, came from my medical school training. When I was a medical student, we were taught how to take the patient history, and the sexual history was taught to us as a matter of fact part of that history. I noticed, though, as a student, that although I was asking the questions, many patients said that nobody else had ever asked the questions, and when I saw my uh, mentors or preceptors model the ideal patient history, I noticed they often left that part of the history out as well. So that got me thinking, and then over the course of my training, particularly as a gynecologist, I became aware of how infrequently we really made time to ask questions about sexuality which is surprising, especially in gynecology, where so many of the problems patients have and the treatments and surgeries we use plausibly affect uh, women's sexual function.
0: So tell us a little about the database. What is it made up of?
1: So this particular database comes from a really unique registry of women who have been diagnosed with a specific type of uh, genital tract cancer. These are women who were diagnosed with vaginal and or cervical clear cell adenocarcinoma, a histologic subtype of cancer that's associated with in, typically with in-utero exposure to diethylstilbestrol. The reason we have this registry at the University of Chicago is Dr. Arthur Herbst has been here for many years, and he was one of the key investigators who discovered the original epidemiologic link between DES and these rare histologic subtypes of genital tract cancer. This unusual database has followed a cohort of women with these particular uh, histologic subtypes over uh, decades and allows us to ask questions about many aspects of long-term survivorship, uh, including, in this case, because we surveyed women recently, sexuality.
0: So these women were followed over a decade or more?
1: Most of these women were diagnosed more than a decade ago. In fact, the mean time since diagnosis for most women was more than two decades. And when we define very long-term survivorship, we mean women who've had cancer, more than 15 to 20 years.
0: So tell us a little bit about your findings. What did you find out?
1: Well, what we were interested in looking at here is not only what are the sexual experiences of long-term survivors of genital tract cancer, but how do those compare to women? similarly aged uh, in the population who haven't had cancer. Why were we interested in that? Well, as women survive cancer and live longer, they're also aging. And in particular with sexuality, because we've had so few baseline data on sexuality and, and women as they age, women don't know whether what they're experiencing is a consequence of just getting older or getting older having survived cancer. So this study is novel in that regard, and it helps us give women a frame of reference for whether what they're experiencing is just a typical consequence of aging or whether it's associated with their cancer. What we find, interestingly, I think, is that the women survivors of genital tract cancer were about as likely as population controls to be in intimate and sexual relationships about uh, having sex about as frequently, but had significantly more sexual problems. And the problems that they had were more complex than the population controls, meaning they were more likely to have a constellation of concurrent problems rather than, say, one problem.
0: So they were sexually active, or very active. Did you find, were you surprised by this?
1: Yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, very active is probably an overstatement. I would say that they were about as active as the age match controls. <clears throat> from the population, I think what I was surprised to find is that although the numbers were not statistically different, among the women in the registry, the women who had survived cancer, about 83% reported having a sexual partner in the last 12 months. Among population controls, that number was 78.4%. So these two numbers are not statistically different, but at the very least, the women with cancer didn't have fewer, um, you know, they weren't less likely to be having had sex in the last 12 months. The frequency of sex, meaning the number of times a week or a month that women with cancer were having sex versus age match controls, is a little bit lower in the women who have had cancer. But on average, most people were having sex two to three times a month or less frequently as a group.
0: So, would you say these women were resilient? They were number one, cancer survivors, and number two, despite having surgery on a part of their body that could be disfiguring or could certainly interfere with function, um, they attempted to maintain a normal sexual life.
1: Well, I think those are some interesting observations. And one of the things we learned in doing this study was insights from women who wrote comments in the margins of the survey. So whenever we ask a, you know, closed-coded survey, we miss information because we simply can't anticipate all the questions. And many women wrote open-ended sorts of comments in the margins indicating that, you know, they would like to be in relationships or that they felt that the reason that their relationship had been sustained over time is that they had married a uniquely attentive and understanding husband. Um, and these are interesting nuances that we could explore in more qualitative work. In terms of resilience, I do think that may be at play here. Of course, the women we're surveying as very long-term survivors are the women who've survived. And there were, unfortunately, many women in this registry who haven't survived as long as the women we surveyed. So there may be something about survival. Survival that also relates to a woman's ability to maintain her sexual function despite having sexual problems. And that may make uh, these long-term cancer survivors as a group different from population controls who haven't been through that experience and haven't been able to survive an experience like cancer.
0: So Dr. Lindau, uh, what was the role that their doctors played in talking to them about their disease and the follow-up?
1: So the women we surveyed were asked questions about their satisfaction with their cancer care overall, and then asked specifically about their satisfaction with the counseling they received specific to sexual issues. Overall, women were very optimistic about the quality of their cancer care. The satisfaction levels are high using the same measure that's used in multiple settings to measure satisfaction of medical care in general. When we look at the satisfaction with quality of care for sexual problems, it was lower than women's satisfaction with their cancer care overall. And this may relate to the observation that the vast majority of women reported that their physician had never discussed the effect of the genital tract cancer or the cancer treatment on their sexuality. Now, some might say, well, perhaps this is an artifact of the time at which these women were diagnosed. Many of these women are very long-term survivors. They might've been diagnosed at a time where doctors and patients were less likely to talk about these issues. But we looked at that question and we can see that whether a woman was diagnosed more recently or longer time ago, there was really no difference in whether or not their doctor had talked to them. And the way the question was phrased was, has the doctor ever talked to you? So presumably women who were diagnosed longer ago have had more opportunity to have a, such a conversation with their physician. How is this possible on such a large scale? Well, I think that in the context of cancer care, there are so many things that doctors and patients need to address. And Certainly being diagnosed with a cancer of the genital tract, especially for women who are in the reproductive age or some of the women had not even initiated their sexual lives because they were adolescents when they were diagnosed, these issues can be quite uncomfortable for both the patient and perhaps the physician, especially when maybe the physician doesn't have the information they need to offer solace or reassurance about the future of the sexual life. I think there are a number of barriers to communication about sexuality between doctors and patients. And some of the other work we're doing, we hope, is going to alleviate some of those barriers.
0: What were some of the comments from the survivors? Can you uh, share some of that with
1: us? Interestingly, uh, you know, as we published in the medical literature, we're oftentimes restricted to publishing the quantitative data or the statistical data. And I commend the editors of Gynecologic Oncology who gave us an opportunity to include some of the quotes written in the margins from the women who participated. This is important because it gives some voice to the experiences of the women that we just can't capture when they answer, you know, yes, no, or true-false questions on a questionnaire. One woman, I think, summed it up very succinctly, and she says, quote, it seems unbelievable to me that a surgeon would remove one's sexual organs and never talk about sex, unquote. And another person said, quote, while the physical care I received probably saved my life, there was no attention to my emotional needs. Nobody could or would talk about it, any young woman with an illness that so seriously affects her sexuality and fertility should be counseled with compassion and expertise, unquote. And I would say that most physicians, um, in fact, the gynecologic surgeons who trained me were tremendously inspiring, compassionate physicians. I think most physicians would sympathize with these statements from patients and probably feel badly if they've missed opportunities to talk about these issues with their patients.
0: What were some of the problems that the women were having sexually? Did they define them?
1: Yes, there were a number of problems that women were experiencing sexually, and lack of interest in sex was a a common problem. The experience of pain during intercourse was very, very common among uh, the cancer survivors, about tenfold uh, the odds of having that particular problem as compared to the population-based controls. We also see that a, a decent number of women lacked the experience of finding sex pleasurable. And remember, these are women who were engaged in sexual intercourse. Having uh, orgasm was also difficult for some women and difficulty lubricating. So the the list of problems was actually quite large for, for these women. And as I mentioned before, women with cancer were much more likely to have multiple concurrent sexual problems as compared to the population controls.
0: Now, what was the results in patients whose doctors did talk to them?
1: Well, the women who reported that a physician had talked to them about these issues were actually less likely to report a complex syndrome of sexual problems. So it seems that a conversation, at least, and we didn't quantify how many times they had talked to their doctor, or, and we really don't know what the content of those conversations was, but reporting that your doctor had ever talked to you about these issues is correlated with a significantly lower likelihood of having these complex sexual problems.
0: Now, what are some of the reasons behind, you think, why their doctors, you know, didn't deal with this? Is it lack of training? Is it not understanding? I
1: think there are a number of possible reasons why doctors haven't dealt with these issues. And I alluded to some of those earlier, for example, just the, the stress both for physician and patient of being faced with this kind of an illness, is particularly with young women who have not yet born their children, initiated their sex lives, et cetera. I think that's one issue. Time in the doctor-patient relationship has been cited both by doctors and patients as a reason these issues aren't discussed. Preparation, but also I think patients have the sense that uh, doctors sometimes feel, you know, you're lucky to be alive, you're lucky we can cure your cancer, and these issues of sexuality are really more kind of quality of life or icing on the cake issues that don't warrant our first line of attention. I don't think that's an explicit decision or a conscious decision made by doctors, but I do think in the scope of important issues that have to get addressed in the context of a new cancer diagnosis sometimes those issues, unfortunately, get pushed to the wayside.
0: I want to thank Dr. Stacy Lindau, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing female sexual counseling after significant body-altering GYN surgery. I am Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.